What was your first car, Brad? Uh, that I ever drove? Yeah. Um, What'd you learn to drive on? Oh, God, what year was it? It was a Ford Taurus sta- oh, station a wagon. Oh, classic. It was a Ford Taurus station wagon, 90, oh, gosh. Probably an 80, 80, something, no, it 91, was an early 92? 90. It was like a 91, 92. We had one of those I when I was a kid. It was like a beige. Oh, ours was just, blue, sky just, blue. Just the most family-ass, 90s-ass car. It, it looked beige like it was station the, wagon. It looked like it was from the future, though. Kind of, yeah. It did have like those sleek, rounded, so this yeah. was almost like some kind of mid-century vision of futuristic spaceships or something. Yeah, it looked like it should go a lot faster than it did. Yeah. Uh, my first car, the first car, I, my parents were, were like, well, we don't care about it, this car enough that we're going to let you drive it. I mean, I grew up driving tractors and stuff on the farm and pickup trucks and all that. But the first one they let me out on the road with was a 1985 Ford station wagon. There was one year where they didn't put a model number or name on the station wagon. It was it just was station just wagon? Ford station wagon, 1984, <laughs> that, 1985. incredible. It was really good. I, I, I'm not saying I would want to own a station wagon, but I miss station wagons. That's why I have an SUV. Yeah. It's because it turns out SUVs are kind of cheap. Station wagons, really premium because they're for people who don't want to be seen driving SUVs or vans. <laughs> Wait, do they still make them? Yeah, shit, yeah. There's a oh. lot of them. Wow. Um, the Volvo makes them. Okay. Uh, I mean, I guess... Subaru makes I, them. What I was going to say, is an Outback it's technically kind of, is kind of a quasi... Gina, Gina would tell you that one of them, either the Forester or the Outback, is a station wagon. The other one's an SUV. I can't tell the difference. The Outback is like when two extremely different breeds of dog get together and have puppies. With like one's really tall and one's and get, really small. One puppy's like really a dog short. with like a massive torso and yeah. tiny little legs. Yeah. Like the Outback is like half station wagon it's and half SUV. The Corgi of cars. The Corgi of cars. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. We're making one right now, I'm Will. I mean, maybe we should have considered the tense of the name. Look. Considering we are in the middle of recording it. Podcast came at us fast, man. That's true. We, we were like, hey, let's do this real quiet, like, and just release it out to a couple of people in our communities, and then all of a sudden, it was on Reddit and message boards. It is, and real, it is a real arms race out there. Yeah. The you, podcast market is both saturated and cutthroat. Look, we got to get out before those fuckers at NPR roll out their own <laughs> tech what single topic tech podcast? How many more late night hosts can this market withstand before it all just collapses in on itself? Jimmy Fallon only has so many hours in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this week, uh, I don't think we have any housekeeping. No? No? No. No. Housekeeping belongs at the end. Okay. Housekeeping. Maybe, maybe we'll end. think of some by then, but uh, let's, uh, let's move on to the topic at hand. We're going to talk about autonomy. Autonomy? Autonomy. Is that a good idea? But, uh, that seems dangerous. Dude, look, do you believe in free will? Uh, oh man! Do what's, humans have free will, or is everything predestined? Predis- predestined? Oh, predestined? Got it, bro. Uh, man, is this is my hand even the same color for you as for me? I actually, yes, hello. Don't have an answer to that question. Oh, maybe. Wow. Okay, maybe less so. You feel? I, I, I feel I like as I get less in free will, the older I get. Yeah, I was going to say the older I get, the less I believe in free will. The less I wonder if I or anyone else has any actual agency in the conduct of their affairs. I uh, see. I'm different. I think that we all have agency, but I just don't think it matters because okay, well, yeah. this is going to push us in the direction it wants. I mean, anyway, this is really far afield of where this <laughs> podcast is supposed to go. <laughs> but I actually agree with you. Um, but we were going to talk about autonomous cars. Yes, specifically. specifically. Today. They don't have free will. 
I guess not. No. No. No, they're just a series of algorithms working together in, in unison, uh, presumably to make your vehicle go where you want it to go. I don't know. Did you read that Stephen King story, Trucks? No, but I read Christine. Is it the same thing? Uh, kind of. What's your favorite Stephen King? Are you a oh. Stephen King guy? I like his short stories a lot. Oh, yeah. The, not, the collections are good. Oh, yeah. The first two, three collections are amazing. Three Nightmares uh, and Dreamscapes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Skeleton Crew. Yeah. I've only read like two of his actual novels, though. The Stand's pretty good. A little, little verbose. I like the Dark Tower in, stuff a in lot. In some cases. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, killer cars. Yeah, killer cars. Trucks, no, no. The whole come to life. No, 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 no. Run no, people no. over. No, no. The, okay, yes. They Look, people are going to get run over. Okay. We should get that out of the way up front. Yeah. But, well, I think the difference there is in the Stephen King story, it's malicious. In the real world, it's just indifferent. I, I mean, yeah. So, okay, this, we're jumping right into the deep end here. Yeah. But the upshot is, I, I looked up some stats for this okay. before we started. Okay. According to AAA, the American Automobile Association, a large automobile lobbying slash user support group, uh, the average American does 2.2 trips a day in a car. They spend 51 minutes a day in the car. They drive 31.5 miles every day. There are 225.8 million drivers, which means if you add all of that up, it's about 70 billion person hours a year in a car That's a lot just of time. for Americans. That's maybe arguably too much. Well, I mean, look, you got to get to work. You got to get well, to the grocery store, yeah. all that stuff. I have, a, I have a really skewed perspective on this whole issue because I have lived yeah. in San Francisco, not just near a city but in a city for going on 17 years you're one of those coastal urban elites that doesn't drive basically yeah um so i just have like a very limited perspective like it's really weird for me every time i get in a modern car mm -hmm. because those are those instances are so few and far between like to put it in perspective like i have not driven regularly since i moved here and i bet it's been at least a decade since i was even behind the wheel period yeah, I remember when we first started whiskey. I think you still had a driver's license. You still, well, still were. Like, I still, I am still licensed. You're still licensed. <laughs> California God, drive. man. Um, but uh, every time I get in a car, which is like maybe once every year or two at this point, you know, like I go back home to visit or something, yeah. and like my parents have got a new car or something like that. Like every time I get in a modern vehicle, I feel like I have jumped ahead in time like a decade. Well, because because like without fail, there are like one or two new drive assist features that weren't there the last time I was in a car. And it's just like, it feels like technology is just like hurtling forward uh, in that uh, category. It's funny because a few years ago, I was, when I was still working at Tested, I was like commuting back and forth every day. And it was, I was like, why am I, I should be, I should get an electric car. And I started driving and like doing the loaner, weekend loaners for a bunch of electric cars. And I got into one of them, I think it was the BMW i3. And it has, it had, it basically like in, Driving up 19th, it would just drive for you. Huh. It would stay in the wow. lane. It would do all the acceleration and braking. That's a BMW? BMW. So I guess that's actually kind of what I'm getting at here is that like um, self-driving cars felt like such a forward-facing initiative initially. Like it was the Teslas of the world and like Google, know, Google, Waymo, Google yeah. tech companies yeah, and, like Uber. Tech and tech adjacent companies <laughs> were the ones pushing this vision of the self-driving future. And I feel like instead these features are just backdooring their way into everyday cars of every make and model i mean know? the driving part of cars has it's like starting with adaptive cr cruise control yeah. which uses either cameras or radar to tell how far away you are from the car in front of you on the freeway like that was the beginning of this and that was that's 10, 10 while, 15 right? years ago yeah. like cadillac had it years and years ago right. as i recall um the the thing that's interesting is like the other stuff has kind of crept up like lane keeping that, and uh, obstacle so, avoidance. So I've never heard the term lane keeping. I mean, it's pretty self-evident what the it car is. Stays in yeah, the lane, yeah, but yeah. I've been in cars that have it in the last few months. And like, that was the big one to me was it's not like the car is making 
you know, like full-on intentional right-hand turns and stuff, but it is some degree of self-steering. Like, like self, self-guidance is the big one to it, me. It can see the lines yeah. on the road yeah. and stay inside them. Like, that was, that, that was the moment where I was just like, oh, wow, this stuff is just trickling down into everyday cars now. This is not, like, you, you don't need a Tesla with three firmware updates to get this sort of thing anymore. It's, it's funny. We were, one of the other electric cars I drove, I might have been, this might have been the BMW 2, but it had a camera on the front as part of the lane keeping and all that stuff, but it also would recognize speed limit signs. So it would see the oh, speed wow. limit sign and like the little HUD would be like, oh, you're going 75 and it's a 65 mile an hour zone. So like that, that stuff is there. It's been creeping in for a long time. But like to me, self-driving car means like the, the Audi of the future from iRobot where he just gets in and there's no wheel. Full on like lack like, of human intervention. Like you just, there's a chair, you like buckle yourself in, you the, like there's a doodle big, around there's on a, your phone. Yeah, there's a big TV in the car and you just get in and watch yeah. TV yeah, while, while you're... Hardcore pornography the entire time you're driving to work. Your invisible robotic chauffeur just takes you where you're going. Um, we're not we're not there yet, Ooh. obviously. Although, I mean, like in test cases, people have gotten close. The Waymo, the stuff that Waymo was doing with that bubble car that they're not making anymore. Is Waymo the one that Google bought? Waymo is what what is Google's self driving car? I mean, remember Google? Google is now Alphabet, and and Waymo is the okay. W. Okay. Which is the self-driving car part of? Wait, is that how they're actually running Alphabet? They're like attempting, or are they attempting to unclear if they're create twenty-six st- subsidiaries, one with each. Oh, that's, that's very. Is that that's where they're going? Super with- villain. It's, it's from from Sergey Brin's secret volcano lair. Um, Do you know Alphabetic Evil? <laughs> no, they took that out. That's good. Yeah, that's I, know, I know. That's a, th- that's a thing of the past. Um, so, uh, first off, apologies for only using American data for this. It, it's we are one of the larger car driving populaces, yeah. so it was the easiest place to go for this. Um, the, <laughs> I can't help but pointing out that you were wearing a shirt with a Muni train on it right now. I am. Just, yeah, just for a little bit of the uh, artist is Amos Goldbaum. A little, He's, a little uh, irony for you there. Yeah, he sells a, sells shirts all over the Bay Area. He's great. I uh, love him. Uh, American driving stats. We did that. Here's the thing. 40,000 people a year die in car accidents in the U.S. Um, There's another 4.5 million that are seriously injured. And the definition of seriously injured is is a little bit unclear, but I assume it seems like it means a visit to the hospital. I mean, it's a, it is a leading cause of death, right? It, it is. Like I'm sure it's, it's not like heart disease. I was going to say it's not in the realm of heart disease and cancer. It's but one it's, of the, but it, it, accidental ter- death in terms I'm of sure. accidental death. It's, it's very high. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's about it's more than one percent of the population are in a serious car accident every year, God, which is a horrifying. lot. Horrifying. Um, Six thousand pedestrians are killed each year. Yeah. So I even before we got together to do this, I had seen somewhere recently that that number is climbing quite a bit. All, all both of those numbers are climbing. And like I, for whatever reason, just in the last year or two, I have really started living in fear <laughs> as I walk around downtown. Well, I mean, downtown, especially downtown San Francisco, is a terrifying place for it, pedestrians because really people is. don't pay attention. Yeah. The pedestrians, like every, there's a lot of people on on both. I'm going to get shit from the audience for this, but there's people on on both sides that are at fault because in downtown San Francisco, people jaywalk like crazy. Mm-hmm. And like, don't respect the the hey, stop walking now signs so that people can turn right, yeah. and that makes the people turn right crazy. Which it's not ever right for them to smash into somebody, but everybody the the whole situation's right for fail. anyway. It's yeah, a but, bad situation. But I mean, like, I, I am a stringent follower of kind of pedestrian standards and yeah. and legal requirements, and I still live in fear constantly just because there's so much chaos. People are crazy. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, the National Safety Council, who's been tracking this since uh, the 1920s, 
uh, vehicle safety stuff since the 1920s, said that the numbers have generally been increasing since the Great Recession, which was 2007, 2008, 2009, presumably due to driver behavior, but there's, this is a correlation, not necessarily a thing. Uh, they specifically cited distracted and drowsy driving and said that maybe the opioid ep- epidemic is contributing huh. as well. Okay. I have to imagine texting while driving is a big part of that. Distracted dr- texting. Or I guess texting that falls, falls, that into, falls under yeah, distracted. Like, sure. D- dicking around with your phone when you should be paying attention to the road sure. is uh, killing people. Another yes. thing that came to mind is the rise of rideshare stuff. I, I would imagine, I mean, there are a lot of like kind of not fully professional drivers out there trying to get places very quickly now. Yeah. Like, I, I have no data to back that up, but I have seen statistics that traffic congestion in cities has gotten dramatically worse due to rideshare. Like, pe- d- people double parking waiting for a pickup and yes. stuff like that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's I a see. perennial. You I can't see. drive down Valencia I anymore. I see Uber drivers parked in bus stop lanes at bus stops, like, all the time yeah. now. Um, it's, it's, like, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting problem. But the point is, self-driving cars don't have to be better they don't have to be perfect to be bad, to be good, to be a good thing in terms of safety, in terms and, of safety and, 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 and human cost of driving. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess I, I agree with you in terms of like cold heart statistics. But, I do. I do think that I, I would just guess that the public has a very low tolerance for automated cars killing people though. Like, I don't think it's going to take too many more of those for people to really turn against the yeah. idea kind of wholesale. I mean, you say that, but you look at the number of millions of miles driven by, you know, the ta- like at this point, well, we'll get into the levels and stuff in a minute. That, that's where it, it gets weird. Um, so far, most of the self-driving related uh, fatalities have been related to like uh, the assistance technology. So like lane keeping failing, obstacle avoidance failing, stuff like that. Yeah, I was trying to resist earlier when you're talking about the um, stop sign identification. Yeah. Like I know that's probably a later in the show topic, but like, you know, my immediate question is like, hey, what happens when that is misidentified or when it like... Right, chooses the wrong choice for what it thinks the the shape is, or you, you know what I mean. Or, like well, it, feel, it feels like that maybe is a little bit of a rigid system that isn't necessarily adapted to changing road conditions. Well, so they were looking at uh, it was recognizing speed limits, not stop signs. Oh, whoa, whoa. Um, oh, like, so it was actually like like identifying the number and adjusting. It was, based on it was that. seeing. Okay. I mean, that it's an easy, it's yeah, an easy it's visual a, it's, number. It's nice, the nice the high, lights reflect back. High, high contrast, yeah. easy to. Parse. Um, it's it's an interesting like. Like this, a lot of people we we talked about um, self-driving cars a lot on this is only a test back in like 2013, 2014 when like Waymo was starting to demo their cars and, and like that, it, that was like the probably the height of like the optimism around it, right? Like def- that, that definitely was that was, was, yeah. that was the like peak kind of Silicon Valley narrative, like wave of the future. Like this is how it's going to be in five years. Like we're going to run everything. When Elon Musk on rolled the out the Model S and was like, yeah. look, this is a, this is going to be a complete tier five self-driving car and whatever time frame. So were they talking in terms of those levels even back then? Has that been... I well, feel like... Because t- today when you, you know, coming up here to record this was the first time I have ever heard it classified that way. But oh. Has that been around for a while? So that's SAE, which is I think the Standards of Automotive Excellence or something. I, it's, it's one of the organization bodies. It's the same people that decide... That all oil filters consortiums should work the same way. Here we go again. But yeah, they've established five levels. We can just okay. jump ahead to that because I think okay. that might be useful for yeah. for um, for uh, uh, helping helping understand helping contextualize this stuff. Um, and and the idea here is like this is a little bit off of the beaten path for our normal format because it's a this is a huge topic and there's a lot to get into. But we thought maybe a survey level kind of o- slightly deeper than an overview, but like setting the stage for future conversations about this stuff. Um, so levels of automation according to SAE. Level zero is no automation. That's just meat behind the wheel. That's what I do every day. Well, so... Hmm. 
Well, you know what? I'll, I'll let you go through these before I ask questions. Well, so like, like the question I started to ask was: Is there actually a car, a current car being sold right now, like a current model year that has, has no that automation has whatsoever, like that would even fit that classification at this we, point? It seems like almost everything has something. But again, like I don't know if power steering and things like that. Well, so power steering wouldn't count, no, because that's entirely the user's intent. Yeah, and that, that's intent. why I'm, that's why I'm getting ahead of her. Um, no, no, it's okay. Uh, but like cruise control, I think probably fits in that category. Although cruise control only maintains like non-adaptive cruise control. Yeah. Um, most cars, even the ones that are loaded up with all this stuff today, you can turn that off if you want. So like, if you think about it, you buy a Volvo that has all their adaptive cruise control and object avoidance and all their safety stuff. It, you can still turn off all of that stuff and drive it just like I would a 1985 Ford Ranger, which was the yeah. first car I ever bought. Right. Manual transmission. Even. Yeah. Yeah. I did not, I did not learn on a manual transmission, but then I had to drive one. <sighs> regularly a few years later I, and it really made me wish I had learned on one to begin with <laughs> I got rid of my manual transmission when I moved to San Francisco for fairly obvious reasons because the yes. metals here would have killed me yeah it was a, a the last car I drove regularly was a 5 speed 94 Civic yeah and yeah when I moved out here gone yeah. well I never thought about bringing it to begin with but yeah. when I got here and saw the hills and the way that you had to like nope start from a stop on a like a Full-on 45-degree incline? Yeah, no, no, thank you. Just, oh, my God. Like Sidewalks with stairs. Burn out your transmission. Um, so you burn the clutch. Or, or the clutch, yeah. Um, okay, so level zero is no automation. The human behind the wheel is entirely responsible for everything about the car. Uh, level one is some driver assistance. Uh, the car controls the steering or the speed, but not both simultaneously. So, like, adaptive cruise control is an example of this, where you get on the freeway, you say, I want to go 75 miles an hour, and it monitors what's in, ahead of you and behind you, uh, or specifically ahead of you, so you don't rear-end anybody. Um, and then, but it can't, like, change lanes to pass a slow-moving car in the in, in your current lane. Is this just a matter of classification that these are, that, that you can't have both of those and be level one? Like, there's nothing mutually exclusive. I don't know about that. About, say, lane-keeping and adaptive I think cruise, it's, right? I think that's it's more... Just, it's, they're just saying if you have more than one of those, then you ascend. Then you ascend to the next level. level yeah, okay. exactly. Um, so uh, the driver's responsible for everything takes over if the system fails to act. So like if the car if the car doesn't recognize that there's another car in front of you, the radar doesn't work for whatever reason, the driver's responsible for taking over. A lot of this is a mixture of like what the car's capable of and where the driver's responsible. That's okay. that's the that's the thing that's interesting about this whole kind of framework for thinking about this. And I assume in those situations the driver's got pretty much like split second override control like it's it's as, as Yeah, like with cruise it's as simple as like the flick of a wrist or tapping the brake or something to dis disengage that stuff right yeah so like with cruise control if you tap the brake uh the cruise control turns off right, right? or pauses basically if you're doing lane keeping and you bump the lane the you know do the lane change signal the half up half down then it'll let you pull then it it, it stops pushing the car back into the lane if you're pushing against it or in some cars if you push against the lane keeping enough then it's like oh you want to change lanes or do something I'll let I'll back off. That sounds a little unsettling to me. It's, and maybe, and maybe it's that's, fucked up. Okay, so it's not. I just don't me. like it. Like I was gonna say, maybe this this is just me again, not having driven a car for ages. But like, uh, you know, turning off the cruise control feels pretty natural. Like it's not a big deal. But I, I feel like the second that you feel the wheel fighting against your, it's not a good your, feeling. Your desire to move it in a certain direction, like no. It, yeah, okay. So I drive back and forth to LA fairly often, and I usually don't want to put miles on my old beater cars to do that. So I will like rent a car. And often I get like Hyundai's or Nissan's or whatever from Enterprise uh, that that have lane keeping and like the more advanced self driving stuff, and it's always jarring. Like it, it is, uh, if it's 
I, I found the later model Nissan stuff is pretty good. Like I actually trust it driving down five, which is one of the most profoundly boring stretches <laughs> of highway you can drive on in North America. Very flat and straight. Um, and lots of cow. Lots of, lots of cows. Um, but, but yeah, that feeling, that feeling of the wheel pushing back when you're trying to get out of the lane is, is, is challenging. I feel like there's probably just a kind of a very momentary kind of feeling in the pit of your stomach, right? Of like, oh, this thing is not obeying what I wanted to do. I, and then, and then your, then your, your conscious brain takes over and you're like, oh, I just have to push enough to disengage. I think you get past that part pretty quickly. It's yeah. just, it's just the bigger problem is when it misreads the lane or like when you reach a place where the road's splitting and it's trying to go the wrong way Oof, and you're fighting against that it. That sounds horrifying. It, I mean, it releases... But I, I'm, I'm not. I haven't spent enough time with those cars to be confident in, in like how they behave right. in those circumstances. And I don't think. I mean, honestly, it's like it's like being around a wild animal, right? It's like it's like having a little kid around a dog. You don't know how the car is going to react um, to an unexpected stimuli. Right. In the same way, you don't know how a dog's going to react to a two-year-old yanking its tail. I was going to say, like when you're driving. I mean, maybe a little less so when you're on a flat, straight road like that. But like your your sensory perception is already kind of saturated, right? I mean, you're already having to pay attention to everything around you at a kind of a heightened degree. Yeah. So adding another layer of things you need to worry about, like adding adding the potential for the car to do something it shouldn't, and you having to watch out for that and correct it. Well, seems maybe like more trouble than it's worth. I mean, so the question is, is your inattentiveness while you're driving down the boring ass road more dangerous or is the one in a million times that the car messes up more oh, dangerous? Well, I mean, if the and you not paying attention. statistical rate of failure is that low, then... Well, I mean, I don't know what the... Oh, okay. I, I'm pulling an arbitrary number. Yeah. But I mean, we, we, are at, we are at a point where there have been, you know, millions and millions of miles driven with auto with Tesla's autopilot stuff on. Oh, really? I didn't know it was that yeah, widespread he, he yet. Yeah, he talks about it on Twitter all the time. Um, I'm sure he does. Yeah. It's what... It's, it, anyway. <laughs> um, but, it, okay, so the point with driver one, or level one is driver assistance, steering or speed, but not both, and the driver is still responsible for everything, takes over the moment that the system fails to act. Right. Um, level two is partial automation, so the car can steer, accelerate, and brake in certain circumstances, but the driver is still responsible for moment-by-moment uh, strategic, uh, tactical decisions like stop signs and traffic lights, changing lanes, uh, avoiding obstacles, and other dangers. Um, and this this is where this is where kind of the modern autopilot, like the Tesla autopilot, uh, Audi's uh, oh, uh, Cadillac Super Cruise and stuff like that is this, are. This is where the current Tesla stuff tops out. This is well. This is where we're at uh, as of like s- that's six what, months ago. That's what's on the road right now. Pretty oh, much. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, I thought I thought it was higher than that. So this will change lanes. Yeah. Um, the 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 tactical decision of changing lanes is a, is is a, seems to be amorphous. Um, but like on the freeway. Your Tesla will change lanes to pass somebody that's going too slow if they're if the left lane's clear or whatever. Okay. Um, usually, you have to keep your hand on the wheel in order to keep this activated. So, like, you have to pretend you're paying attention, even though probably people don't pay attention. Um, level three is what they they call conditional automation. Um, this means that so the difference between two and three is that the car isn't keeping track of the environment so much. Level four, level three, the car is tracking the environment. So if a pedestrian walks in front of the car, it will realize it's a pedestrian and know that the pedestrian is going to step out in front of the traffic. So when you when you when you say environment, you basically mean sort of shape recognition around the car. I mean the the space. You know, if you're going 45 miles an hour, you have what 45 feet to stop. So it's the space that you require. The car has to be aware of the space 
around it in order to stop and avoid hitting something. Okay, well, what I mean is, is it just limited obstacles, or would it be able to say, realize that it's raining and that it that the pavement is going to be more slippery? And it that is more, a very good question. And it needs Brad. more more time to slow down than if it was dry. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> uh, I assume in in level three, we're just talking about that. I don't yeah. think we get into navigating weather until we get further down the. Down yeah, that, that's the my that was my assumption. I just it, wanted to make sure. The the thing I read about these SAE levels didn't mention weather until you get much higher, much further down the path. But I, I think that does illustrate the point, though, that the driving well and safely is much more complex than just saying, "Hey, there's a you know there's a deer in the road in front of me." Like there are other factors there that. Well, it's more than saying just there's a thing in the road. Right, that's what you, I mean. Right? Like, yeah. if you look at what the LiDAR gives you back, it's just like, hey, there's something that's three feet tall in the road. Right. Is it a kid? Is it a deer? Is it a cone that, you know, one of those big barrels that got blown into the thing? Is it safe to hit? Probably no. Um, at level three, the car manages most aspects of driving and monitors the environment. The driver is prompted when the car reaches a situation it doesn't understand, but it's more of a strategic choice. So it's like, if it can't read the intersection and needs to know, do I, you know, do I take, for example, the I-5 grapevine split? When you come out of I-5, you go you go towards Bakersfield. Usually, staying right makes you take the exit, and staying on the left makes you enter. The signage is bad. Human drivers mess this up. I did it last time I drove back from LA. I made that drive dozens of times. The cars, if the car doesn't understand the situation, it'll prompt the driver usually by bumping the wheel or ringing a chime or some combination of the boat of all of all of those. I mean, that again just raises my hackles, though. That like. I feel like the, the human tendency is going to be to kind of disengage with what's going on if you don't have to pay attention to it, right? So, like, I feel like there's some extra sort of cognitive spin-up time if you're sitting there on your phone or just, like, not... I think that's just, a fair if, criticism. If you're zoning out and, yeah. what it, and what's required to get you back in the game is some kind of sound effect, like, there's going to be a second or two of, like, return to awareness, right, before you can react. And, like, just, you know, like, milliseconds count when... When you're going 80 miles an hour. When you're moving hour. at speed. Yeah. So, yeah. presumably, this is going to alert you... Before such, with more than enough time to like read the situation, okay. assuming the car itself recognizes the. This is still arguably a car that you're supposed to be paying attention to the entire okay. time you're driving. Yeah, again, like <laughs> you know, but the, the expectations and the reality of the way people will well, use it are. Yeah, I've I've yelled for years about Tesla naming the autopilot autopilot because yeah. I think it's incredibly irresponsible yeah. because words mean shit. Yeah, who knew? Yeah, um, uh, Audi's traffic jam pilot is a specific example of level three. In that it can change lanes and like when you're stuck in traffic, you can hit the button and it'll just do do the TDM for you. Um, level four is high automation. This is the second to highest level. Level five is the highest. Um, and this is that the car can operate without human input or oversight in certain conditions. So certain types of roads, freeway, urban, et cetera, or a specific geographical area. And probably this is limited to specific weather conditions too. So you won't be able to, it wouldn't be able to drive in the snow, but maybe it can handle light rain or whatever, depending on what type of sensors it uses. Um, driver may have made So the, what this means is once you, you might have to drive your car to get onto the freeway. And once you get on the freeway, it knows where you want to go, and you just let take your hands off the wheel and go about your business. Uh, this isn't, this doesn't exist outside of prototypes like the way most off really and the huh. and the standalone like experimental cars essentially, okay. and even even especially there, licensed cars. And even here, what you're describing sounds like anything that requires a lot of frequent decision making, a lot of turns to make, a lot of routing is still going to be on the driver. Well, I think like because freeway operation, I mean, it, it happens quickly, but it's pretty, it's relatively simple, right? Compared to driving on side streets and that sort of thing. Well, it, it turns out it's complicated, <laughs> but yeah. 
Um, as a general rule, the signal to noise ratio of good data to bad data on the freeway is pretty straightforward. That's kind right? of what I was getting at. Like worst case, the car can follow the car in front of it and it'll probably be okay. Right. Just do what the other cars around it are doing. Right. Um, you don't have to manage like, like if you think about like the area around your office downtown where you're going up third street and there's a million alleys and there's all these weird pull-offs and there's yes. parking lots and there's Strange just like roundabouts and bike yeah. lanes and just a hundred like very... Yeah. Noisy, like you said, kind of elements to worry about. Well, and like power lines and people and weird reflections and like... Construction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Constantly changing streets. Yep. Maybe the lines aren't painted on the road because they just repaved and that confuses things. It's 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 complicated. Um, the, the two modes for this are like limited use uh, rideshare type situation where... The car just knows the area that you're in. Like down, it knows San Francisco super well and isn't allowed to operate outside of San Francisco, but it's good inside the inside the city limits. Or alternately, like a personally owned car that once you get on the freeway, you don't have to pay attention. So if you like want to go to Portland, you get in the car, put it on the freeway, and just lay down and go to sleep, <laughs> which sounds terrific. I'm yeah. I'm there for that. Okay. Look. Um, then the last one is five is full automation, which means it can basically operate in any condition that a human driver can, regardless of weather or geography. Um, and the, the example I saw for this was that Waymo has, uh, converted a bunch of those Chrysler Pacificas, the, the, the hybrid ones to, uh, serve as a test bed for that kind of driving. Okay. So is this off the drawing board yet? Level five? Those like are they even testing? They're 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 doing the work to make those real now. I see. Okay. But it's there's some question as to whether that we're you know, the timing on that. Whether well, we even have the technology yeah, needed to the, do that. The little today. bit of Googling I did about level five automation before this suggested that it is a very long way off. The the things that I have read lead me to believe that anybody that's saying there's level five automation coming in the next say any determinate period of time is maybe blowing smoke. Okay. Um, and, like the biggest question that comes to mind for me with these higher tiers yeah. is whether these are the sort of thing that are only feasible if every car is similarly equipped. So that's part of the challenge of level five okay. is that presumably the early phases of level five is that we'll have either uh, – right now they have to operate with other cars because there's a right. bazillion – you know, 70 billion man uh, person hours. Right. And that's, that's where it seems like most of the danger comes from is that robotic cars have to – compete or not compete but but coexist with unpredictable and fallible human drivers like if every car on the road had the exact same robotic algorithms running it then you I feel like you could have some expectation oh that's a would, terrible idea because then what if it? that algorithm has a failure point they oh fail well the same sure, way sure i mean like if they all get hacked let's say <laughs> let's say the system is robust and fairly trustworthy at a point so blockchain is what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah exactly. with the robotic cars are gonna be on the blockchain uh-huh. Um, just leave your car idling all night to, to mine to mine <laughs> oh, cryptocurrency. No, no, that's a terrible. Just I'm going to sit in the garage and watch it to make sure it's okay. That's, oh, that's safe, right? Man, sitting in the garage with a running car. Well, it's electric though. It'll be fine. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. You, all those, all those, all those bits, all those. Yeah. Um. So here's the thing. I think all of this is predicated on the fact that they have to be coexist with human-driven cars. The benefits that computers have are that they can read situations and see things, you know, very rapidly. Reaction time. The reaction time. Yeah. Our reaction time is forty-five miles an hour. Like my physics professor told me this. Or my physics teacher in high school told me that like human reactions happen at about like once you get above forty-five miles an hour, you're not able to react faster than 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 um, 
like your reaction speeds are slower than the the speed at which things will happen to you. Okay. Yeah. What is I don't the, know if that's um, true or not, but it sounds good. What is the um, the kind of common consensus on human reaction time? Isn't it like a second, second and a half to go it's from a, perceiving something to being able to cognitively like process and react? I, th- I, th- I feel oh, like it's that's gotta be faster than that, you right? Think? I mean, you can catch a ball. Well, but I mean, I think that, I mean, we're getting into like cognitive territory that we're probably unequipped to exist or to uh, to throw uh, something at to, you to discuss you here. But I'm sure there are there are conscious versus subconscious reactions, right? There are like there are lizard brain there's refl- sur- reflexes and yeah. survival reflexes that, yeah. that happen much faster than uh, having to like process sort of multiple variables and come up with a. So I would bet that if like we could do an experiment with this, I bet if you put you and I in a driving simulator. I bet my reactions are faster than yours, even though I'm older than you, just because I drive on the reg eh, and you okay, have it sure. a long yeah. time. Yeah, I would believe that. Um, but I mean, I to, guess to, like I'm, driving stimuli. What I'm getting at is like think about. I mean, you know, I guess catching the, the baseball flying at your face is a good example. But like think about how often you have reacted to things before you even consciously processed what what it was you were reacting to. You know, catching something or dropping something and yeah, like the like the drop and catch it with the same hand right. on the way down. That's right. always a it's good like one. It's, it's back in your hand before you fully integrated the idea that you dropped it in the first place, right? Yeah, it's funny. I always feel like I think about that, but maybe I'm just po- but, like yeah. post coming. This is a cognitive science question. Yeah, this is weird. Um, <laughs> Treading into dangerous territory. Here. But, but so, so the point is, though, all the cars have to do is be safer than your average distracted driver who's like changing Spotify while they're trying to change six lanes across the freeway. Sure. And and we're better off as a whole, like like fatality and injury numbers go down. Yeah, like if fatality and injury, like just to be clear, since the introduction of the smartphone in 2007, fatality and injury numbers have been increasing until 2018 when it kind of leveled off for the first time. Yeah. Also, coincidentally, one of the we started the hey don't drive distracted campaigns in like what 2017 maybe. So maybe maybe that stuff's finally working. Um, it's it's unclear. I, I think when we started talking about self-driving cars not eight years ago, I was thinking about it in terms of these things can never kill people. But when you talk to the people who, who are doing writing the code for these things and who are figuring it out, like people die in cars, it's going to happen. There's going to be situations where somebody's going to die. Yeah. And the point is that we want to minimize those. Sure. Um, Again, I you know to reiterate though, I do I do feel like the public is going to have a pretty low tolerance for machines doing that. I mean, look. There's always going to be some luddite in the middle of the country. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, but I, I think you're right. I think, like, like, I think it. I genuinely, I sincerely think it is easy as human beings to other automated technology and see it as kind of an external threat, as opposed to like, you know, people identify with human error because they are themselves human and also make errors. Yeah. You know. Well, and, there, and there's remunerations when there's a human error too. Right. Like if I if I'm if I nail a pedestrian when I'm leaving here today. Yeah. yeah. Then I, that's on. Oh, dude! I mean, like yeah. the ability of giant tech companies to escape liability, I feel like is a whole separate well, issue here. So, yeah, that that is actually that's a question we need to get an ethicist on for. Is I want to know, like, if I'm if I'm driving my Volvo, if I have a Vol, if I theoretically if I have a Volvo that's self driving and it tags somebody and and it's in level four, level five, and I'm driving it, I'm using it correctly. Am I liable for that? Is Volvo liable for that? Is nobody liable for that? Right. Like, is this just it? Like, because if you think about it as a society, we take on shared risk on the reg, right? We like when you get on an airplane, we, we're basically saying, hey, we're we assume that the airline is working in its best interest to keep this safe. And there'll be some sort of small settlement if, if there's a tragedy on the airline, 
but it's not like you know it's not like if it's not like if the airline does something negligent um it's not like say boeing building 737 maxes and making them you know defective by design yeah. that's another conversation yeah they probably There's a lot of conversations but i mean uh, the uh, i feel like the um I think it was Uber, right, that had the fatality last year? Uber's had a couple of fatalities, uh, Like, yeah. the NTSB report on one of those fatalities just came out, like, in the last week or two. This, so, like, it's been back in the headlines. This was the, Vol- the Volvo they'd modified um, hit a bicyclist, I think, right? Yes, that, that is right. Yeah. yeah. And what, what, did the, what was the, what oh, was the finding out of the uh, thing? The report was it basically, I think it was basically not trained to identify shapes. I would have to double check what the. Uh, My understanding was that the Volvo cell collision avoidance stuff would have detected the bicyclist, and the Uber stuff did. Oh, that is, yeah. Uh, also, I hope the family of the deceased never hears that because that is. I hope they sue the living shit out of a, Uber. That is really tough to hear. I mean, he, here's the thing: the thing about so one of the th- problems with Silicon Valley in general is the tendency to move fast and break things, which mm-hmm. is great when you're talking about smartphone apps and word processors and stuff like that. When you get into a situation where you're talking about 70 billion person hours in a car every year, um, the, like the potential for breaking things is becomes really tragic. And yeah. this is the first example of that. Yeah. Um, there've been a couple of Tesla autopilot fatalities that involved like some dumbass watching a movie on his laptop while he was supposed to be driving the car and and stuff like that also tragic but shouldn't like they are really fucking clear that you're supposed to okay. be paying attention to behind the that wheel was, that was my first question was how they message those features and what the safety expectations so, are to drivers so it like you click like every it's click through license as always <laughs> yeah. but also if you take your hands off the wheel for more than like five seconds it starts shaking the wheel and making buzzing noises inside huh. the car okay and eventually it'll just stop Okay, that's, my that's okay. Those are those are more rigorous safety standards than I would have expected. But quite frankly, just to be clear, you can bypass all of these rigorous safety standards by just draping your oh, left yeah, hand yes, on the yes. wheel while you have the laptop propped up with the right hand. Yeah. So you know, uh-huh. pros and cons. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, it, it, more than anything else. I think we've talked about on this podcast so far this has the potential to kind of reshape society. Oh yeah. Right. Cause like you, you live in a world where you don't own a car, you take the bus to work yes. on the reg. Mm-hmm. And I assume if you need a car, you lift or you do a, do a, um, on the spot, like just to get somewhere yeah, quickly. Yeah. yeah or lift, lift, lift or Uber. Uber. But, uh, we also use Zipcar on occasion for, for like kind Costco. Of shorter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like kind of personal stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like there are so many kind of, topics that are going to be very relevant in the near future that kind of dovetail into this, right? Like there's like kind of the power of Silicon Valley and, and uh, the need to sort of rein in the boundaries of their tech uh, advancement. There's like urban planning and how that might need to change around both population density and pollution and how that needs to be decreased. Like there, there's a lot of stuff here. Well, and, and you, you look at, you look at like what London did with the exclusion, like, like they have a car exclusion zone where you have to pay, I think, 20 pounds or something to get in to drive your car into the cent- downtown central or urban area of London to relieve traffic congestion. Okay, like I was going to ask if that was just a toll situation or if that was actually to bring about changes in traffic patterns. It, sounds like the it, latter. It was like 15 years ago. They wanted it to be just cabs downtown instead of a million people trying to park, and 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 it, it's worked really okay, well. Yeah, that's which, which again is the exact yeah. situation we have here now. But they have the benefit of having a really robust public transit yeah, system. Yeah, which um, we do not which, have. I mean, we, I, it's like okay. our buses are good. They're okay. 
Pretty but decent. a lot of like the problem we have in San Francisco is that where the population is densest out on the west side of town, it's mostly served by buses that's, that, that run on streets, yes, that is which are problem. subject to traffic congestion, which yeah. sucks. Yeah, um, and then you have the wider problem in the greater Bay Area of stuff like BART not being expanded nearly as much as it should be. Yeah, we have an we. I mean, to rampant nimbyism and so forth. But that's again a. It's, if Bart comes, all of the undesirables will yep. come. Brad. Nope, nope. I've been watching it happen for. Yeah, they they say the quiet part loud. As somebody who had to commute to uh, north of the Golden Gate Bridge for a number of God, years, how did you even do that? Uh, I am very well acquainted with the people up there voting down Bart expansion over and over. I I forgot about that. Uh, we took the Golden Gate Transit bus. It was awful for me driving up 19th every day. Oh man! Yeah. But at least I didn't have to take the, take the Golden Gate Transit bus. Yeah, which only ran once an hour. Yeah, and stopped after at seven o'clock like or something. Nine a.m. was the last one, I think. Yeah. Uh, I remember. And I, yes, I stopped I, at 7 p.m. If you I, didn't get, if you yeah. didn't get on that 7 p.m. bus, you were boned. to get home. Well, I would take you home uh, occasionally. I, yeah, well, I took after, you after on the rag. after you guys got yeah. there, yes. But the first couple of years, if you missed that bus, oh, right. was Jeff still in the city then, or was he up no, north? No, he's never been in the city. Oh, he's never been in the Ryan, city. Ryan was not oh, in the Ryan city then the city. either. Okay. They were both up north. But, but if you missed yeah. if you missed that 7 p.m. bus, your 20 minute bus ride turned into like a 90 minute bus ride. Or a hundred dollar cab ride, probably. Yeah, uh, it wasn't quite that much, but it was like fifty. Well, okay, so so that's kind of the overview. Um, the self driving cars. It seems like like the thing that's happened that's interesting is a everybody's gotten really pessimistic about level five over the last few years, um, and even like level five with caveats like you're not going to drive in snow or ice. People have gotten kind of pessimistic about. Um, the other thing is. Like, it seems to like this is going to end up being paired with electric cars. So, and and some manufacturers may be wanting to move to a model where people don't ever buy cars again, where you're just like subscribing to a service, <laughs> yeah. just like everything else. Okay. So you know, instead of buying a car, you just you pay either pay per ride, or you pay a couple hundred bucks a month for access to either private or shared or whatever whatever level you want. Um, which which, I mean, frankly. Like from an urban urban planning standpoint, I look around as I spent twenty minutes trying to park outside your apartment. How at how many how many people how many how much of our urban space we spend parking cars? Like yeah, let's build some shared lots where they can plug in and just not and just have them driving around all the time. Because like my car sits in the driveway. I what I drive an average of fifty minutes a day. It says so that means there's twenty three hours and ten minutes a day that's just sitting de- depreciating. I'm fine. I'm fine not owning a car. Totally. I am I'm a hundred percent with you at this yeah. point, having not had to deal with it for a very long time. Well but like what you're describing sounds even more like a blending of sort of traditional private car operation and ownership and public transit. Like I feel like you're actually talking about some kind of model where those two concepts just become one in some way. Well I mean I I mean obviously like the public or private ownership of the system is a major factor there, but like yeah, are like, you, are do you, you want your landlord to own a bunch of cars that he's sending out in the world to carry no, people around? No, yeah. definitely not. I probably don't want that. I right. don't have a landlord, but right. that seems not great. Right. And at the same time, I also don't want Tesla and Ford to be doing that. So I don't know what they, I don't, I don't, but from an urban planning standpoint, it would be really nice to reclaim the space that we use on bazillions of cars. Absolutely. Also, um, I mean, we are talking about this from a, an incredibly like urban centric yeah. perspective. And, you know, I grew up, well, you, you did too, we both grew up in small town America. 
So yeah. like I like I, f I know full well that more rural areas like this is a completely different conversation because well, the the density is too low for this sort of thing to make sense. Well, and and like the number of times I've driven a, my car in San Francisco off of a road or driveway or parking lot, I think I can count on one hand. You know, in in Tennessee, I grew up on a 15 acre farm. You know, we like constantly driving through gates and driving through fields and stuff like that. Like th those people who live places that are more rural, even suburban, probably aren't talking about self-driving cars anytime soon. Um, I think we're, I think maybe, maybe on interstates and freeways, but I think, I think for people who are like suburban commuters, it's, it's literally the same people that like electric cars are interested for, interesting for. You drive less than 50 miles a day. You spend a fair amount of time in the car. You're spending, you know, $4 a gallon on gas here in Northern California, four fifty a gallon on gas. Like it's, it makes a lot of sense to have a self-driving electric car. Um, it's just a matter of, of when is the right time to jump and whether it's something that you buy or subscribe to or, or what the model is and, and what its limitations are. You know, does it, does it drive you, can it drive me to your office downtown or is it only for going down to San Jose? I don't know. Yeah. It almost sounds like, I mean, setting aside the, just the technical difficulty of getting to level five. It almost sounds like maybe that's just too extreme for what's practical for society. Like I could almost see a, a situation where like 20, 30 years from now, people have just decided that like level two or three was actually the highest we realistically needed to go. Like the, like the, maybe there's a, maybe there's a happy medium between direct user intervention and automation that is more ideal for safety standards and so forth than yeah. trying to let the computers run everything. I mean, I don't, I don't think, like, I think there's a real chance that my daughter, who's now six years old, almost seven, won't have to learn to drive in 10 years when she, when like, she's already not interested in it. <laughs> she thinks it's dangerous, which yeah. is funny. Cause when yeah. I was six, I was like, man, I want to learn how to drive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, that was the classic, the classic American teenage notion was like, everybody can't wait to get a license and like be free of the parental yoke. Yeah. Right? But like, she's grown up and she, when we travel places, then we take lifts and stuff like that. Like I often don't rent a car if I'm not going someplace that I'm going to have to do. You know, if I'm going to an urban area, then, then renting a car is usually counterproductive. Um, I, I don't I so I don't know I don't I don't think we're gonna get into cars that don't have steering wheels anytime soon. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think we're gonna get in and hit hit our location on the map and have it just drive us there. But I mean, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think that's that's all I got. Yeah, I I could you know I can I mean I could ask questions all day about just about any topic. But here's one that is kind of related. Okay, I mean it is related. Hit me. Um, it gets into you know. <laughs> It's that, it's that entertaining territory of the fortunes of the rising and falling fortunes of Silicon Valley. Mm. Um, do you think that Uber's business model is doomed? Is Uber doomed? Like the thing that is, is seemed to be the case with Uber for the last two, three years is they're just trying to corner the market just in time for robotic cars to come online. I mean, so they, they don't have to pay anybody anymore. I like, like they want everybody using their app. Uh, yeah. And then they want for that market dominance to coincide with not having to pay human beings and just running a fleet of automatic cars. So the common wisdom is that they have spent the last 10 years building market share. Right. So that, and losing money on every ride. Because their quarterly losses at this point hundred million like, dollars. Like I, I think, yeah, they're losing billions per quarter at this point. Yeah. Like, no, it was, it was only, a, I can't remember. Oh no, it was, I, I saw the comparison I saw yesterday was Amtrak, which lost like $20 million last quarter versus Uber, which lost almost a, billion dollars i think yeah maybe that's yeah, it was a lot it's, a, it's an astronomical amount um like they're not going to make it right like the, as this kind of 
glorious level five future keeps getting pushed further and further off. Like it just seems like that can't be sustained. Well, they don't need level five; they need level four. Oh, From mo if you think about most of Uber, like it, most of Uber's, most most of those rideshare rides operate within a fa fairly fixed geographical area. Let me, so, so okay. Let, so, me, let me refer back to my notes here. Yeah, there's because I, I thought level four still would need. I mean, anything that. Uh, requires a human being to be sitting in the car ready to act is kind of undermine their so four horrifying is, four techno dystopian future. No, no, but but four is can work, operate without human oversight in specific conditions. So I see, I see. So as long as you're confining the the to the, the geographical possible routes to like a very small road area, types. Well, I mean a very small, but like San Francisco is seven miles by seven right, miles. Right. I, I think that I think that fits. I see. Um, I I think um, they they a few years ago they literally scooped up the entire Carnegie Mellon robotics department like hired all the professors oh, out wow. in one fell swoop huh. more or less. Okay. Um, I feel like pretty consistently like Uber and this has changed a little bit in recent time because they've almost completely overhauled the entire management structure. They had a reputation for just going in and breaking laws willy nilly, which like if you're going up against established monopoly cab cab companies that kind of makes like I that's okay I it's not great but whatever yeah the old the old cab medallion model I, I looked terrible were, well the problem with the well cab, it, it seemed very good at keeping uh regulating the number of cars on the road it regulated the number of cars like, on the road that was the upside it regulated the drivers in a way that we don't currently very well with ride share um the downside is that they had no inclination to innovate so when we were you know 2010 we all had smartphones and we have these screens that can call cars and you still have to call the phone number and wait five minutes for the person and on new year's eve you're never going to get the answer like they didn't they didn't innovate in ways that were that reduced friction for users which is why uber and lyft were able to get a foothold now the problem with uber and lyft is they've been losing money on every ride for like nine years now or eight years now or something like that and <laughs> also Uber has pretty clearly been building a robotic, you know, self-driving car fleet uh, technology with the goal of replacing all these human drivers. Whether they're going to keep getting money from venture capitalists long enough to make it to that point remains to be seen. Right. Their record with self-driving is, I think, the worst of anyone out there that has a significant number of miles on the road. That's, that's unsurprising. Yeah, like the, like like I said, moving fast and breaking things is great when you're talking about word processors. Yeah, when it's when human lives are at stake. Yeah. Or even just pro like property, massive property. Yeah. Like you can't you can't destroy a sixty thousand dollar car, parking, uh, parking a word processor. <laughs> but it turns out if your self parking shit doesn't work right, you can do a lot of damage to somebody else's vehicle. Sure. Um. So yeah, I I think, um, I I don't know. I mean, I think the the other option is for them to figure out either charge more for rideshare, which means people are going to go back to cabs or public transit, or, uh figure out a way to pay their drivers less which seems like Ooh, it would be that's, i don't think that's all, an option at this point yeah it's really bad already so i i don't know like I've, I, I've talked to enough drivers of those services about what it's like working for those companies to oh man feel confident that that's not an option that's my favorite like it's my favorite thing to ask them yeah. is like because it i didn't realize this until recently but the uber the way they get paid is different in every region like the rate they get paid per mile and all that stuff so like if you're in atlanta you get paid differently than if you're in say portland which is a small mostly compact urban area versus atlanta which is super sprawled out and, and really huge um like like in, specifically in terms of like the number of rides you need to do a month in order for them to cover the lease of your of your car or whatever Any, anyway it's um yeah it's a mess 
I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't think Uber is a good company. No, I have felt that way for a very long time. Yeah. I, I just use Lyft. Um, do you think? Um, I think. Li- I, but just to be clear, if Uber didn't exist, we'd all think Lyft was a bad company too. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. yeah just yeah. slightly less bad yeah. than, than the worst one. Um, yeah. Do you think? Uh, let's say, like, does Uber reach a point where they're like cash poor and they can't continue their burn rate? But they've like, is is their market share big enough now that some company, I don't know who it would be, somebody is going to swoop in and pick up the pieces and do something with that, right? Like I don't... I, I'm not saying that they're too big to fail at this point, but they do have enough of a user base that I feel like surely somebody, even if they were on their last legs, like somebody's going to want to come in and do something with that customer base they've built up, right? But I don't know what that is. I don't know that the customer base has as much value. Hmm. Like if you think about it, most people who use Uber probably also have Lyft on their phone mm-hmm. or at least know enough of Lyft to get the, the competitor, the main competitor. Yeah. And most of the drivers seem to be driving for both. The Everybody, they all drive for both now because, yeah, yeah they, that way they can switch back to whichever, whichever one gives them the better deal on the lease. Because it seems like for most of the people I've talked to, the goal is to drive whatever you need to to get the lease covered. And then, then you get the money. Like that, that doesn't come out of the money you make as a driver. Um, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know. I think, um, I mean, I think we're gonna have to wait and see what happens. I don't think, I think Uber is, look, whoever, whoever figures out the self-driving stuff, if they do it in a patent, patentable way is going to make so much money that the self-driving stuff is just data collection. Like, like the rideshare stuff is just data collection. Oh, you know what? That was, uh, that was one more thing I was going to ask about was we were chatting about this yeah. before we started. And you floated the idea of, um, and even consider it working this way, of individual cars out there sort of scanning their surroundings, um, keeping track of everything that they see yeah. and encounter. And, and reacting to that. Feeding, well, not only that, but feeding all that data back up to a central resource. And like basically the idea of like sort of collective navigational data. Well, so so there's, like, yeah, there's two you know, ideas. One is that the car should just react to the stimuli as it detects them without right. knowing so anything that, more than like where the roads are. That is exactly what I assumed all self-driving Yeah, was, but that's that not it how... Just, it was just reading, you know, instantaneous data around the car and reacting based on that. But it sounds like there is a lot of sort of cloud-based stuff backing that up. Well, well so a lot of it is... Um, a lot of it, as I understand, and then this is almost certainly a gross oversimplification... But a lot of the data that's being collected right now is used to train machine learning models for things like image recognition and and like how to deal with things like that weird interchange at I five and grape at, at uh, I five and Bakersfield, right? Okay. So it's, so it's maybe um, it sounds like it's less about having a gigantic data set that describes like an entire state's roadways and more about just like more generalized behavior. Well, so the question is is should should which is the right which is the right answer? Is it that the car reacts only to the stimuli that it's presented? In, in the moment or should all of the cars be uploading stuff to a shared database you know like a super ways for all intents and purposes do you even know about ways did they have ways when you still drove uh no but i've seen okay uber drivers use it yeah so the point of ways is that it is that database right like if i'm driving along and i see a cop or a construction or a traffic jam or whatever i tap the little button distract myself for 10 seconds and and upload a little thing that says hey there's a problem here that seems dangerous it's like three taps it's okay. it's totally it's totally fine okay, brad it's not okay. at all distracting mm, sure but the point is you can do that really quickly and and not have a big you know it's like that shared that then becomes a shared resource that's of value to everybody else that's using the app. And that's why it says, hey, there's 800,000 people using Waze in your immediate vicinity right now. Um, I, I think that probably the right answer is a combination of both of those things, right? Is that 
all the drive cars are constantly uploading to build their own machine learning models and get them better and get the the all the center like the sensor integration between the lidar and the and the cameras and the front bumper radar and the rear bumper radar and all the different things that are happening at any given moment in in the car's like immediate space and using those things to paint a better picture so that like every car isn't approaching every intersection blind for all intents and purposes. I mean, and then if you want to get to the crazy future where like you just get in the car, everything's self-driving and the cars are just weaving in through intersections with no stoplights anymore. Yeah. What, what speeds could be possible when there aren't, that's level six, right? Um, Everything's a bullet train then. Yeah. But in order for that to work, like, like you essentially think about how hard it is to get, say a video game to do no latency, on a server that has a hundred people in it. Yeah. I play PUBG, so this is a constant concern for me. <laughs> sure. Like there are no moving mechanical parts there. Yeah, no, I don't think that's gonna I don't think I don't think we're ever going to get to a point that like the cars are weaving in between traffic like that gif that everybody shares when they talk about uh, self driving cars yeah. on the internet. Or like the you know the classic like Blade Runner conception of a bunch of flying cars crisscrossing each other and just constantly Well crisscrossing's easy because they're high. They're well, yeah, different yeah, heights. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's like airplanes. They're a thousand, if, if you're going in different directions, you're at least a thousand feet different from each other, I think. I can't remember. That, yeah, that would make sense. That seems right. Yeah. Anyway. They need, they need TCP IP for cars. TCP IP has too That's, much latency, man. You, <laughs> you got to get that UDP. Well, no, you need, you need to have checks. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. I've, anyway, yeah. Let's, just, let's not open this can of worms. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm I, like, I can't imagine that the next car I get isn't going to be have at least some like at least a, like a level three type situation where yeah. it can drive me on the freeway with minimal attention. That seems to be the way things are going. I mean, I'm I still like driving a manual transmission, so yeah, it's all very new and frightening for me. But yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. You can't stand in the way of progress. I'm curious. I'm sure people in the audience have uh, have cars with varying levels of self driving. Yeah, I would love to hear some feedback because again, like I said, this stuff is just quietly trickling out into the wider install base for lack of a better term of you know cars in america yeah um, it's they're there so people people have more hands-on experience with this stuff now than than you would think yeah it's it's um it's always interesting getting let me tell you it's always interesting getting into rental and figuring out how much the car is going to drive for you um i feel like that's that needs to be part of the rental onboarding process for each car that's like hey this car has this and this and this uh, in fact actually one of the things that the that the national safety council said is the best thing you can do to make yourself like they have when they did the in their fatality article they had you know here are 10 things one of them is be a defensive driver you know all the don't drive distracted if you're taking prescription medicine make sure it's not going to impair your ability to drive because apparently like opiates because they're pills that come from the doctor people think ah, i'd probably find to drive this when they're high as hell um but learning how to use your car's safety features, so collision avoidance, stuff like that, making sure that stuff's on and, and you're actively using it. It turns out it doesn't work if you don't turn it on, so might as well turn it on. It tends to make you safer than not having it on, I guess. That's all we can hope for. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. We, we're scary. past time for questions, I think. Scary future out there on the road, but yeah, maybe it'll get better. Yeah. What do you think about, um, you know what's, what's not scary, though, Brad? What's that? Leaving a review for this podcast no. on iTunes. No, that's warm and fuzzy and friendly, and everybody should try it. Whether it's positive or negative, yeah. we just love seeing those reviews. Yeah, go if you want to vent about yeah. this, how this podcast is ruining your life. Hey, look at these asshats and we, look at what they said. <laughs> we welcome all feedback. Every time I listen to this, I scream at my radio in the car for the entire 45 minutes. They're so wrong I hate about these everything. Guys. Yeah, they're complete jerks. 
Um, or you can let us know on Twitter. Uh, I'm Will Smith. At Brad Shoemaker is me. Yeah, the, the podcast is Sweatpants Tech. Yes. At Sweatpants at, Tech. At Sweatpants Tech, yes. Uh, yeah, at Sweatpants Tech. Yep. And I guess that'll do it for us this week. Yeah. See you all uh, next week. Vroom, vroom. <laughs>